So last time we looked at the rapture, their question seems to be rather interesting. What happens if you already die? Do you not maybe make it to heaven? Uh, But for sure, if you die, do you not get to be a part of that wonderful experience Paul had been teaching about of, of being raptured? You know, though evidently the way Paul talked about it, it was a, a really a moment that you wanted to be a part of it. And, uh, and they thought, well, if the people have died, they're not going to get to have that fun. And that, that, you know, wonderful, exciting moment of the rapture. And, and other people are coming through and telling them different things. And, and, and Paul tells them, you, you guys know, you guys know perfectly this. Don't, don't believe these other guys and don't don't go beyond what's common sense here of course those who have died are going to be caught up to be with the Lord as well matter of fact they're going to be there a little ahead of us because they're already with the Lord well in verse chapter 5 now in verse 1 and 2 but concerning the times and seasons brethren you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night Now, he's continuing the thought, but, or continuing on, this is a conjunction that says, I'm going to keep talking about the same subject, but in a different direction. So, concerning the times and seasons, we're continuing on talking about the rapture. Um, So, the one question we're going to say, learn here today, is when does the rapture take place? And the second is, how should we live in the days before the rapture? So concerning the times and seasons, uh, you have no need that anybody should write you. Again, it's, it's astounding to us that Paul was only there three Sabbaths at the most four weeks. And yet this was a topic for new believers that Paul covered in great detail with them. That's interesting. Of course, it's great contrast today because, you know, I've had people come to Calvary Chapel who have been a part of other denominations and they're like, is this really in the Bible? (laughs) I've never heard about this. You're shocking me. Are you teaching some false doctrine? Because, you know, it literally is something they know very little to nothing about. And Paul saying in the opposite I was there three weeks. That was more than sufficient amount of time for you guys to get this down perfectly. Wow. And, and I'll just let you know, we, we are to be responsible Christians to cause ourselves to grow in the Lord by reading the Bible and praying. We need to go into the world and make disciples. I mean, these are commands the Lord's given us. But another command the Lord gave us is to study and to know the seasons we're living in and through the scripture. And if we don't, we are to be rebuked. Remember in Matthew chapter 16, when he was talking uh, to the multitude and they were giving him a hard time, especially the Pharisees. And he said, "How, how is it you guys can go out at night and say, oh, red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky in morning, sailors take warning, you know bad weather's coming. But yet, when you are looking at the signs returning to the first coming of Christ, which are far more abundant than that, 
and you should be ashamed of yourself, he says in Matthew 16, that you did not discern the times of my coming. You should have known and been ready for the season of the first coming of the Messiah. It was that evident. Nobody who studies the Bible should have not caught that. And Jesus says that in more than one place. So we, as Christians, should not be like the Pharisees and not have discerning the signs of the second coming of Christ, or of course, the rapture of the church. I, I think the Lord puts a little nugget in the scriptures in First Chronicles 12.32. And there it tells us that the sons of Issachar, they became the chiefs, and everybody followed them in, in their leadership because they had understanding of the times. And it, knowing the season they were in gave them clear direction on what they should do. And all the brethren uh, were at their command, whatever you guys say, because you are in tune. Through the scripture, the season or I might even say the dispensation in which we are in. And then he goes on to say that Paul does here that the day of the Lord so comes. Now, this term day of the Lord can, can actually, uh, it's used many, many times. In the Old Testament, it's used 26 times. In the New Testament's use. A matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter is preaching, he speaks out of Joel and he actually says, these guys speaking in tongues, it's the beginning of the last days. And so in a sense, it started with the birth of the church all the way up to the heavens and the earth melting with the fervent heat at the end of the millennial reign. So it's, it can be a general season of sort of the, a dispensation of time. But, but as we go through the Old Testament, there was many days of the Lord, but each time... It's where God is saying, it's my time. You know, I've let you guys, I let man do what they want as long as I can. I'm going to have to stop it. And the day of the Lord is now coming. And this day of the Lord is going to bring judgment on the wicked. It's going to be, bring a rule of righteousness of God. And uh, it's no longer going to allow the wicked to rule. It's going to establish God's kingdom. So I guess you would say there's been little many times <laughs> of the days of the Lord, of the seasons in which God did that at different times. You know, whether that was the patriarchs or putting the judges in place or the kings or the prophets or it was various times. But what we are looking at here is the season when Jesus returns in the rapture and then begins, as always, the judgment, which he's going to bring on this earth for seven years. Then at the end of the seven years, he's going to bring his rule of righteousness, which he's going to do for a thousand years. And, and his kingdom will be established during that time. That's always the general context and idea of what he's doing. It's never a single day. So even though it says the day of the Lord, it's referring to a season of which God does these things.
But you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. This word perfectly is accurately. It's exactly. You, you guys know that you know that you know that the next thing on the agenda is the rapture. And it comes and surprises everybody. That's what he makes it clear. The, the word thief here, it's sort of a sneaky guy. <laughs> He's a pickpocket, if you would. He, 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 he does some stealing, and the people that he just stole from have no idea that he just stole from them. He broke into the house. He got into the safe. He stole the jewels, and he left. And you wake up in the morning, and you had no idea that the thief had come and went. That's an important idea. Because to those who are on the earth, they are going to get pickpocketed. <laughs> they are going to have the thief snatch away the jewels of this earth. And they're going to wake up in the morning as usual, assuming that their believing spouse or their friends from work are going to still be there that day. And they're going to turn on the news, sort of like 9-11. Did any of you guys turn on the news why that was happening, 9-11? Yeah, we, we never had our TV on in the morning with the kids getting them ready for school. That particular day we did, and we're actually watching it real time. Boy, that was, that was shocking. I mean, it was sort of like, do we go to school? Do we leave the house? Do we get all the guns loaded? I mean, what do we do here? It was shocking. Well, this is going to be where they turn the news on and they're going to say, I, I guess the aliens have come and snatched people away to the, the mothership. You know, um, I, I don't know how, what they're going to come up with. But Jesus talks about this. He, he actually says in the end times passage of Matthew 24, he said, which one of you, if you were to hear that somebody's going to break into your house tonight, how many of you guys wouldn't get prepared to catch that thief? He said, 100% of you would. He said, if for some reason you didn't prepare your house and you foolishly let that thief come in, you know, what a shame that would be. And then he says, so you therefore be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we are going to know the season. It's still going to happen, as he told us last week in 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The trumpet's going to blast. E even though we know it's going to be any point in time, it's still going to be surprising to us who are raptured. You know, it, it, it's not like, oh, I'd love to be surprised. Thanks, Brian. You know, you spoiled it. Now I'm going to get raptured and not get surprised. Um, <laughs> no, I can tell you it's coming any day and you will still very much be surprised. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus said, I don't even know the day or the hour. It's going to be a surprise to me. Only the Father knows. And of course, we talked about this last week. This is the marriage ceremony where the, the groom builds a house or a room onto his parents' house or on the farm. And 
only the father can say, okay, it's prepared and ready. Go get your bride. And uh, so until the father says, yep, the, the dwelling place you prepared for your bride is sufficient, go. Then he will go. And uh, you don't know exactly when that's going to be. However, we do know the times, the signs of the times, and the seasons. There's lots of them. So when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, he, he said, you guys can see red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky at morning, sailor. But the signs of the first coming of Christ, oh my goodness. There's what, I can't remember right now, 131 of them? It, it, was, it was astounding how many signs of the first coming, how many specific prophecies. When the, when, uh, the wise men went to Jerusalem, boy, they, they knew. They're like, oh, yeah, we, when he comes, he's going to get born in Bethlehem. And, you know, they had all kinds of pieces of information. They just w- thought, no, it's not now. <laughs> you know, they didn't, they weren't boned up on it, if you would. They, they weren't studied up on it. They should have blew the dust off it and, and, and really gave themselves some energy in studying. And, and he's saying here, when you see a sign, which... It's hard to imagine that every generation since Christ resurrected from the dead wouldn't see signs because some of them are very general type signs. And, and Paul even thought he was coming back in his time. You can read 1 Corinthians 7. Paul was like, man, don't even get married. Be like me, be single because it's not going to matter if you get married. You're not going to be able to have kids and raise them because the Lord's coming. That was the way he looked at it. And that's sort of the, the sense of in chapter one, in chapter two, in chapter three, in chapter four, and now in chapter five, he is giving them the sense even here that, hey, it, it, it's going to be happening any time, which is the Lord's plan. You see, it's like the tension on a guitar. You got to get the tension just right. Too sharp, it doesn't sound right. Too flat, it doesn't sound right. To get a guitar tuned, every string of it just right to have the right sound. It's very specific in the same way with the signs of the times. You don't want to add to it? Boy, read Revelation. He says it a few times. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. You see people doing it on both ends and their guitars really out of tune. (laughs) But even us, we're constantly tuning it, aren't we? You know, I, I can remember back as a kid, a, a guy came into town in the whole s- small town in Central California, but everybody came out to this guy speaking on the end times. And, and, uh, and you know, he showed a picture, I remember as a little kid, of a guy with the big black magic marker, 666, on the forehead, you know. And I remember the very first Christian movie they made on that. Do you guys remember that? Same thing, a big black magic marker, 666, on their forehead. <laughs> Sort of funny because we knew that there's going to be a mark on the forehead or the back of the hand you can't buy or sell with that. Wherever you go, it's going to find you. Well, it doesn't take any imagination today, does it? That is the technology. It is a fact. It's an existence. We've been seeing it come slowly, and, and, and now the guitar, we've got to retune it 
because it's not the big black magic marker on the forehead. <laughs> it's something quite a bit more sophisticated than that. And so we tune it up. And then he goes on to say, but you know, you do know the times and seasons. Now, what about it? Well, for example, in verse 3, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So whatever the media says, the opposite is true. <laughs> Gee, right there, right in the scripture. Somehow the world's going to get together on the same page and all the people that all of a sudden they're going to be governing the world are going to have this meeting and they're all going to have this agreement and in this agreement everybody is going to be at peace. You know, universal paycheck. Everybody, no matter where you're on the planet, everybody makes $15 an hour or, or you know, everybody can live where, uh, you know, I, I don't know what all is going to happen, but it, it's going to be such an overwhelming sense of finally, finally, ah, no more wars, no more conflicts. This guy came on the scene and he's such a smart guy, such a, such a likable person. Everybody just loves him and, and he is gotten everybody to calm down and to be on the same page. And, and isn't this wonderful? So we're going to learn just here in about two weeks. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians, where he continues on in this topic. And he says to them, you know that the rapture hasn't already come because you haven't seen telltale signs of the Antichrist. Now, we, as Christians, we're not looking for the Antichrist, but we are, part of the signs and seasons is to start seeing the government in which he'll rule, start to see a world in which will reflect his characteristics. I'll just simply ask you, are we seeing that now? Is evil good and good evil? Do we have doctrines of demons? Do we have thoughts going on today that no one's ever even thought of before? As soon as they're born, it might be a girl, it might be a boy. You can't tell. It's like, where in the history of man has anybody ever thought such stupid thoughts? Arrest that person for saying that. I'm off YouTube now because I said girls are girls and boys are boys. Oh, I can't believe that. Take them off of YouTube. They can't say stuff like that and get away with it. That's hate speech. It's like, water's wet. Take them down. That's it. That's the last straw. It's, it's insanity. And what's it say in those doctrines of demons? Many will depart from the faith over them. That there's Christians that are going to be on the bandwagon with the Antichrist spirit who are going to say, I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy who's, who's at war with this spirit. I, I don't want to be the guy that's, that's upsetting my family or my bowling club or my neighborhood. Or I, I, I just want to fly under the radar and, and live and let live. And, and, and so, yeah, you know, they're lovely people and, 
you know, I, I, you know, I'm not going to upset anything. They go along with it until they themselves get brainwashed with it. But when they say peace and safety, the opposite is actually true. And what's going to happen? They're not going to escape or they're going to miss. They're going to miss it. Just like Noah's out there preaching for 120 years that there's going to be a worldwide flood when it never rained before. They heard it. They understood it. They didn't believe it. They didn't think they needed to repent or change their wicked ways. And then the door, God shut the door and the rain came down and they were banging on it trying to get in, but it was too late. Or Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the society was no longer functioning. You had two angels come in and they, men, it says, from the oldest to the youngest. They were all perverted and they were physically pushing in, going to knock the walls of the house in because they wanted to have sex new, with new flesh. They were tired of having sex with each other. It wasn't new. It wasn't exciting. It didn't get them uh, excited enough to have sex, but to have sex with two new young men, not discerning they were angels. That's how twisted they were. It was a society ready to implode, but they couldn't see it. Now, I think the analogy gives here is perfect, like the pains of a pregnant woman. It, it's perfect. It's a perfect analogy. Because the pregnant woman knows the times and the seasons, right? I'm pregnant. Now, I can tell you it's going to be out about nine months. And doctors foolishly say, mm, you know, August 20th. <laughs> I won't ask how many doctors got the date wrong with you guys. It's very rarely they get the date right, is it? Sometimes it's a few weeks early, sometimes a few weeks late. And, but, but we know that the best they can do is guess, right? Uh, I think you're about 28 days, so let's look on the calendar. That would be, you know, nine months would be out here. But uh, again, but it's, it's a perfect concept. They cannot say the specific day with certainty. And no doctor would tell you 100% I'm certain. No, but generally, you've got the idea, give or take, a few weeks on each, each side of that date. In the same way, we would see the times and the seasons. We would see the, the various, but I, you know, I'd love to go into that and go to, to Daniel chapter you know, uh, 12 and Daniel chapter 10 and 7 and, and, and to look through what Jesus taught on and, and look through the book of Revelation and, and see all the various signs of the times. They're there, guys. But the one thing is, I, I think, couple is the days will be the days of Noah. They were angry. They were full of violence. There was lawlessness. And the hearts of men were evil continually. Sound familiar? Watch the news today. I guarantee you that'll all play out. And then the other thing, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, there was a, a lot of, you know, go to read Ezekiel 16. They had too much idleness. They had too much wealth. They, they, the fact that they were not working and not helping anybody, but, but just delving in with all their spare time into sexuality 
until eventually the final rung was like Romans 1 says. Eventually, the God just steps out of the way and lets the, the wall of the dam break and, and good becomes evil and evil becomes good. And if you look at the end of Romans 12 as well as 2 Timothy 3, once they get there, they now feel a compulsion to proselyte people to be like them or even worse. It's a compulsion. It's not like, oh, I'm a homosexual and I'm happy with that. No, I'm homosexual and I need to help people find their homosexuality. I'm transgendered. I need to help people discover. Matter of fact, there's a lot more people, I think, than, than realize they're transgender. I need to help them get to the place I am. There is that strong sense, and that's what we are seeing today. They want to start as soon as the kid shows up, even in preschool. It's, it's demonic to the nth degree, but yet it is now the norm. And anybody who's fighting against that, uh, you know, are the black slave owners. And everybody's like the black people. And, and you're the slave owner of 200 years ago trying to keep the transgendered people in slavery and how evil you are. So he makes it clear they're going to be saying things have never been better, peace and safety. We have an answer to all the ills. People are just wanting to believe it, and they believe it, going, oh, yes, I, I, I give you my will. I give you my freedom. I give you the power to rule over us so I can have this sense of security and safety. And for those who are looking on, we're going, that's one of the signs of the times. That, that is talking about the very end of the pregnancy. That's what we're seeing as this world government comes in and begins to establish itself throughout the world. And the revived Roman Empire begins to get built. This is exactly what we see. And and so the time is near. Verse 4 and 5. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. So his first analogy is, there's the day, that's the righteous people. Then there's the night, that's the unrighteous people. There, if you're in the day, then you're in the light. If you're in the night, you're in the darkness. So this is his first parallel in understanding. But of course, Jesus makes it clear that if you're born again, you're automatically by nature in the light of the day. Jesus didn't say, okay, now that you're born again, go be the light of the world. He never said that. He said, you are the light of the world, just as I am the light of the world. By nature, when we get born again, we become the light. Now, he says that light can dim brightly, or you can stick it under a bed or put it under a bushel and, and try to keep it from shining. He said, please don't do that. <laughs> but the light's going to shine. And Jesus makes it clear in John eight twelve that if you're in the light, as he is the light of the world, that you will never be in darkness. Impossible for you to be in darkness. In John 12, 46, that whoever believes in me should not be a, abide in darkness. Everybody who's following me, they'll never be in darkness. And of course, we know that passage well in 1 John 1, 
This is the message which you heard from him declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And he goes on to say, since we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps cleanses us from all sin. So whatever it means to walk in the light doesn't mean sinless. <laughs> he still very much says as human beings, you're walking in the light, but you still need to be forgiven of sins. And as you're walking in the light, the blood's flowing and you're being washed and don't even realize that you're being washed from your sins. So that day should not overtake you as a thief in a negative way. So in other words, you're not on the, the rude end of the rapture. <laughs> you're not on the negative end of the rapture. Because I believe when the rapture comes, so does the tribulation period. And we're going to look at that. It's a pretty heavy, heavy thing. Those who are of the day, those who are in the light, it will not be a rude, negative thief experience. It'll be the wonderful thief experience because Jesus will be the thief snatching us out of planet Earth. In Matthew 24, 33, Jesus says, when you see all these things taking place, know it is near at the doors. Jesus is saying, if you listen to what I say about the signs of the times, you can watch the doorknob. <laughs> and you can hear somebody on the other side of the door coming to the door. And you can watch the doorknob and see it turn. And it's, it's that close to us. It's like it's happening. It's, it's right now. Like the, a pregnant woman, right? The water breaks. You know, you get her to the hospital. That doesn't mean she's having the baby. Maybe another couple of days still or several hours still before that baby finally comes out, right? So there seems to be two truths communicated here. First, the first truth is we are not in darkness, but we're sons of light and we're in the day. But there are others. The second thing he's conveying is there are people in darkness and they are of the night and it is not going to be a good experience for them. And it appears that Paul is, is warning not just the non-Christian to get saved, but he's warning the carnal Christian to stop being carnal. You're of the day, but yet you're walking in the darkness. Stop it. Jesus said everybody who follows him would never be in darkness. I think Paul says it best in Romans 13, verse 11 through 14. And do this knowing the time is near, that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in robbery, drunkenness, not in lewdness, nor in lust, but nor in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And of course, if we walk in the spirit, 
We won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we're never, the concentration is never as, don't be in the flesh, don't be in the flesh, don't be in the flesh. The, the point is, is be in the spirit, be in the spirit, be talking to Jesus, be meditating the word, be fellowship with Jesus. Just stay in the light. We don't have to worry about, don't get in the darkness, don't get in the darkness. It's just be in the light or we won't be in the darkness. We don't have to concentrate on not being in the darkness. We just need to concentrate on being in the light. Well, in verse six through eight here, of First Corinthians, First Thessalonians five now, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. So now he's continuing on. So let's think about this. We've got day, we've got light, we got night, we got darkness. Now let's add to the day and light category. On the day and the light, you have people awake and sober. People who are in the darkness, they're in the nighttime and they are drunk. Not physically. He's talking spiritually. Spiritually, they're awake. Spiritually, they're sober. Or spiritually, they're drunk. And so the word sleep here is not like in chapter 4. Matter of fact, it's a different Greek word, but it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But here he's talking about not sleep as those who die. Remember chapter 4 was those who sleep who are dead? No, no. He's talking physical sleep here. And then the word sober is also the word to be serious or to be watchful. Peter nails it in 1 Peter In chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Geared up the loins of your mind. Remember those days they had had robes. So if they were going to run or work, they would pull them up and tie them around their thighs so they wouldn't trip up in the robe. He's saying do that um, in in your mind, in your thinking. In 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious. The same word sober. Matter of fact, in the King James Version, they translate it sober and watchful in your prayers. In 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour spiritually be alert, spiritually be sharp, spiritually be aware of what's going on around you. Satan's plan is to water you down. Satan's plan is to get you in the shadows. Satan's plan is to get you spiritually tired and sleepy. And don't worry, everything's going to be great. The, the men at the top have it all taken care of for us. <laughs> okay? Biden just talked to France and Canada and, and, and Germany and, and all the financiers of banking system has all got together. We have nothing to worry about, guys. Everything is fine. But if you did want to buy anything at the store tomorrow to keep people from ripping stuff off, you do need to have a mark on the back of your hand or your forehead. It's just a little tiny shot. It's exactly as the COVID, just get in line at the stadium 
And it'll take just a second to slide that piece of rice thing under your hand and so you can buy and sell. And by the way, you've got to worship the Antichrist on the way. So again, day, awake, sober, night, asleep, drunk. And then he gives a little tiny introduction to what in 12 years from this point in the book of Ephesians, he'll give a whole teaching on it. Right? Ephesians chapter 6 is on the armor of God and fighting against Satan. Well, here in this very first letter Paul ever wrote, remember? First Thessalonians, the first letter Paul ever wrote. He sort of is, is developing this, and he gives a little introduction. So put on the breastplate, which is faith and love, and put on the helmet, which is salvation. But either way, he, he is saying, be ready for war. As you see the days coming, the times and the seasons, Christians need to be more than just awake, more than just serious, more than just sober, more than just of the day, more than just in the light. They need to be prepared for battle. So if you have your armor in the closet, you haven't been warring as a Christian. You haven't, your, your, your sword is a little rusty and, and it hasn't been sharpened in a while. If you're not even sure if the breastplate even fits you anymore and you got to loosen up the leather straps a little bit. He says, Christians in this time need to be suited up and ready for battle. Verse 9 and 10, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we should live together with him. So first he says here, there is a day that God is going to bring his wrath upon sinful man. There is a day that God is appointing for wrath. Remember Isaiah 26, 21. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. You know, it's interesting. John 16 says, the spirits in the world convicting men of sin, of righteousness, and what? Judgment. It's interesting when you hear these atheists or the very hard-hearted commentators, especially they hate Christianity, every time they say, well, I don't want to believe in a God that's going to come back and judge me for what I'm doing. They know. They know. They have a sense that their day is going to be up. Man's day is going to be up. And God's day is going to start. And on the day that God's kingdom is being established, the first thing on the list is to judge the wicked for shutting, quenching the Holy Spirit, shutting up the Holy Spirit, not listening to the presence of God, not seeing the obvious hand of a creator and submitting to his will and saying, I am a sinner. I can sense it. I don't know how. There's information in my heart, my mind, my conscience that tells me that, that I'm not right with the God who made this place. They shut that down and now they're going to be judged. They're right. There is a day of wrath coming. But God did not appoint us to wrath. Who? Basically anybody reading this letter. <laughs> he did not say those who are elected before the foundations of the world, like the Calvinists. 
He did not say, well, those who have true saving faith, not just the regular stuff that doesn't apply, like they quote James incorrectly. It's anybody and everybody reading this who believes. Right? John 3, 16. Whoever believes in him shall what? Not perish. Well, what do you mean by believe? As many as trust in him? As many as look to the serpent on the pole and believe? The same way whoever looks unto me? Therefore, whoever looks at me shall be saved. (laughs) Wow. Just looking at Jesus is enough? John 1, as many as receive him, receive him, trust in him, believe in him, look to him. All these words are synonymous with the same thing. And that is to say, I need a savior, Jesus. I mean, think of that thief on the cross. Hands are tied, feet are tied. He can do no good works. Just today, Jesus, Lord, remember me. When? He knew Jesus was Lord. He knew he had a kingdom. He knew he was going to raise from the dead. Everybody who believes that God has raised Jesus from the dead will be saved. Whoa. Romans 10. Whoever believes that God has raised Jesus from the dead shall be saved. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So we're not, a. there is a day of wrath, but we're not appointed to wrath, but we were appointed to wrath. Remember 1 Thessalonians 1.10? We were appointed to wrath and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Remember John 3.16, where Jesus said, just look at me and you're saved? Well, look at, he says, and to those who are unwilling to look to Jesus. In John 3.36, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the son shall not see life, but what? The wrath of God abides on him. And then Ephesians 2, boy, you can't make it clearer than this passage, in verse 2 and 3, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, what? Children of wrath just as others. The world who hasn't believed in the one way of salvation, the world who has not gone through the one door, Jesus, unto eternal life, they are appointed to wrath. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But to those who have believed, we are not appointed to wrath ever under any kind of wrath, but we have obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the next part of Ephesians 2. We just read Ephesians 2, verse 2 and 3. Now look at Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love which with he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So when we were in that, by nature, children of wrath, we were in that place to be judged He made us alive by grace. We've been saved as a gift. So we're no longer appointed to wrath, but obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He died on the cross. He stood in our place. He appointed it. The appointment to wrath has been canceled. Do you understand that? We had an appointment to wrath. And you know who showed up to our appointment? Jesus. And he took that appointment of wrath for us. I'm here for Brian's appointment to wrath. Hanging on the cross, he dies, taking all my sins. And now I show up. Am I worthy for the day of wrath? Absolutely. I'm still a sinner. I'm still in this human flesh. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Brian, are you worthy of wrath even as a born-again believer? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things that are sinful. Paul often says, he gives a list of sins that, and he says, and these things you also once practiced, these things are still the same things you're struggling with. And they're going to go to hell for it. But even though you're committing it as a Christian, you're not going to go to hell for it. It's, it's a very humbling thing for us to realize that the struggles I have in my flesh, people are going to be condemned to eternal hell for the same things I said and did and what's in my heart. But we're no longer appointed. Jesus took that appointment. So when we showed up to that appointment, they say, no, there's no such appointment for you, Brian. That appointment was canceled at the cross. And this is what he goes on to say. We have not obtained, we have obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Do you hear it? We don't obtain the wrath. We obtain the salvation all because Christ died for us. He is our substitute. He stood in our place. The wages of sin is what? Death. Either you pay for it yourself or Jesus, let Jesus pay for it. But somebody's going to pay the wages of your sin. And the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus died for his pain for our wages that we would not have to pay them. So we're no longer appointed to wrath. Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. He made him who knew no sin that he could sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-being, the crucifixion, came upon him. By his stripes we are healed. We all are sheep that have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God is no longer appointing us to wrath because he appointed his son to bear our wrath. But we obtain salvation. So no more wrath because he died for us. Obtain salvation because he died and rose again. So whoever believes will never be appointed to wrath. Now, there's two different things about the wrath. The first thing I think he's talking about here is the tribulation period. The rapture comes. It's going to not be a good experience for those who are left on this earth. And they're going to experience the wrath of God in the seven-year tribulation period. In Revelation 6, 
It says there in verse 15 through 17, And the kings of the earth, great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits upon the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. Isn't that funny? He said earlier that he saw Jesus as the Lamb who had been slain, but also as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So here you would have said, and hide us from the wrath of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He doesn't say that. He says, hide us from the wrath of the lamb. Ooh, it's a mean lamb, you know. For the great day of his wrath has come. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? In Romans 14, 9 and 10, Then the third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast or his image or receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. It's a very specific taste. It's a very specific vintage. This wrath has been coming for a very long time. And he pulls this wine out of the cellar. It's a very sophisticated flavor, this wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength upon the cup of his indignation. And he shall torment them with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. So I think the first wrath that we are delivered from, is he's talking here, because he's saying, he's saying, hey, We're not of the night, we're of the day. We're not of drunkenness, we're of soberness. And the Christian listening to this says, I haven't really been in the light the way I'm supposed to be in the light. I've been in the darkness where I shouldn't be. I, I, my, 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 heart is mixed up because I love the nightlife and I hate the I hate church now. I, it's hard. Oh, it's so hard for me to go to church. It's so hard for me to read the Bible. I, praying, it's just something that that I, I haven't done in decades. I just, man, my I, I'm just wrapped up in these last days in my mind and in my emotion and I and I, I don't hate what I hate. To the degree I should hate it. I don't love what I love to the degree that I should love it. So, Paul, I'm born again. Jesus is the way, but I am not walking in the day. What do I do with this equation? Well, you're not appointed to wrath. Okay. John says, abide him, little children. So when he appears, you don't shrink away in shame at his appearing. Jude talks about those at the rapture who are living carnally, who are going to be snatched up and their very garments still smell of their sin as they're being snatched and their little butts are getting burned by the fire as they're getting raptured. But he makes... Yes, you, you Siri, listen. Maybe you get born again. But you don't know. And, uh, and so we're not going to go to the rapture. Carnal Christians don't go to the rapture. I mean, don't go in the tribulation period. Carnal Christians do not end up in the tribulation period. This is what I believe he's saying. The second wrath is the final day of judgment. 
Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer at war with God. We may not be submitted to him as we should be, but we're not at odds with him. Romans 5.9 says, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? The wrath through him. Now, if you follow the verses before this in Romans 5, he is saying that we were enemies, we were weak, when Christ died for us. So now we're not ever going to be enemies, but if we're weak and struggling in the flesh, if Christ died for us when we were enemies and, and weak and full of sin, how will we now that we're still struggling as a Christian, will he cut us off? There's no way. You know, there's an interesting example here. You might remember in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says, I've warned you, Corinthians, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I've told you when I was there, you're not taking communion in a worthy manner. They were eating too much, getting drunk. The poor people, they were just letting them watch them eat and stay hungry. But on top of that, it doesn't, they weren't discerning the Lord's body. They were just taking communion. Ah, okay, we're done. Now what's next on the agenda? There wasn't a faith. There wasn't a worship. There wasn't a reverence. The whole point of the communion is to be sober and to, and to stop and think, Christ died for me. He bore my sins, and it, it was torturous and hideous. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? We're to go through it step by step and let the the reality of it become fresh again because we don't want to trample underfoot the cross of Christ and insult the spirit of grace. But this is what they were doing. And what did Paul say? This is why some of you guys have been really sick. This is why some of you guys have been in this weak state. And this is why some of you have even gone to sleep, died. He uses the Christian word for died. And then he ends it in, in 1 Corinthians 11 by saying this, because you're not going to be judged with the world, God's judging you now by shortening your lifespan. But it's interesting that he says, because you're not going to be experiencing the wrath of the judgment of the world, the condemnation that the world is going to have, but God's judging you now, sort of like an Ananias and Sapphira situation. Or the guy in, in 1, Timothy, or 1 Corinthians where it says their body would be destroyed, that their souls might be saved from their sins of heresy and of marrying his stepmother and so forth. So again here, we are not going to experience the wrath of God on the day of judgment. We're not going to experience the wrath of God in the tribulation period. We're not going to experience the wrath of God on the day of judgment. Do you, do you understand? This is important. Our salvation is given once for all. It's eternally secure. Jesus said our salvation is till the day of Jesus Christ or till the very end of our lives. In Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, he who began this good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ. Matthew 28, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
David in the Psalms after sinning a bunch and sinning in the future after this Psalm said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have eternal security also because he is faithful. It's his nature. It's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He who calls us is faithful, who will do it. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. All, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Our eternal, we, our salvation is eternally secure, not only because it's kept until by Jesus Christ until the end of our lives or until Jesus comes again, but it, nor is it by just his nature alone, but he'll never let us go. Remember in John 10, Jesus says, my sheep, they come and follow me and they shall never perish. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Salvation is secure because it's a gift. It's not dependent upon ourselves, on our past self, our present self, our future self. It's a gift of God. You know this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Romans six twenty-eight: the wages and the dead, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans eleven twenty nine for the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable, unchangeable. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Our salvation is secure because it's kept by, not us. Our salvation isn't kept by our holiness or our righteousness or our obedience. Our salvation is kept by the power of God, Right? We have a living hope. We have, an, a, through the abundant mercy of Christ, we have a living hope that's incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, kept by the power of God, First Peter 1 says. And also, it is the will of the Father that Christ keeps us and never lets us go. In John 6, 39, for this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that is given to me, I should lose what? Nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. In John 6, 40, and this is the will of him, the Father who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Here it is, just seize him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me comes to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means, what? Cast out. So Paul goes on to say, whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're alive or whether we're dead. So it seems to be twofold. Earlier in chapter four, those who are, have died will still be in the rapture. But now his analogy in chapter five of being awake or asleep was talking about being right with God or not right with God. Those who are of the darkness, those who are of night, those who are of drunkard, those who are asleep, are not really right with God in this moment. But those who believe and are asleep, or whether you're awake, 
Either way, he says, we shall live together with him. I think affirming that very doctrine. Paul makes it clear in Romans 8, verse 31 to 35. What, man sh- what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yourself, others, the devil, demons? He who did not spare his own son, but delivers him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? For, it is, for he has the power to condemn. Only, only he has the power, right? Jesus said all judgment has been given unto the Son in, in John 5, that everybody would uh, respect the Son as they respect the Father. Who is he who condemns? You again? Others? The devil? Demons? Who is it condemns? It doesn't matter, because it's Christ who died, furthermore is risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Do we get that? Jesus alone has judgment, and he makes it clear. He has us in his hand. He'll never let us go. He will never cast us out. Right? All judgment, John 5 says, in the hands of Jesus. And in John 6, he makes it clear. He'll raise us up on the last day. It's the will of the Father that he loses none. It's the will of the Father that none will be cast out that have come unto him. He actually says who sees him. <laughs> uh, even, And then he goes on in Romans 8, 37 to 39. For yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death. I've had Christians say to me, I'm tired of being carnal. I wish, I think of that night, you know, back in that day, uh, I was some friends invited me to Calvary Chapel and God's spirit poured out and I went down and, and cried and gave my life to Jesus. I wish that right then I had a heart attack and died or I wish I'd walked outside and been hit by a Mack truck because ever since then I've been struggling as a Christian and now I'm not even sure if I'm going to heaven or not. But that night I, I know Jesus accepted me. And it's like, Really? You, you, you became a Christian and you've been a Christian 10 years and you wish in the last 10 years that God would just kill you. That would be the best possible scenario. No, you don't understand God's grace. You don't understand salvation. You don't understand how his mercies are new every morning. You're never going to be appointed to wrath in any shape, way, shape or form. God's never going to cast you out. He's never going to let you go. He loves you and life is not going to be your enemy. <laughs> Death isn't going to be your enemy. Angels, principalities, powers, things present or things to come. That's what I'm afraid about. I'm this carnal now. How carnal, more much more carnal will I be next week or next month? If I'm struggling with sin to this degree today, how much more will I be struggling with sin next week? That's what's scaring me. No, neither height nor depth. There it is nor other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, verse 11, finally, comfort each other, edify one another, just as you are doing. It's a command, the command to comfort. He did that at the end of chapter four. He's saying it again, comfort each other. This this passage, and I've heard pastors preach this passage, these 11 verses, basically saying, so if you claim to be a Christian, if you've claimed to be a Christian in the last 50 years, but you are not walking in the light as he is in the light, then you need to get saved today. 
You weren't saved before. These last 50 years was a charade. <laughs> because if you're really ready to go to heaven, you're not going to be ever in the night. You'll never be in the darkness. You'll never be spiritually drunk. And if you have been, well, you didn't have real saving faith. Whatever you had, it didn't work. It didn't happen. But you need to make it happen really today. Is that the message Paul is preaching here? No, the opposite. He, he's, he's saying that you should know the times and the seasons. And yes, you look at your guitar saying, isn't in tune. No, get in tune. There's doctrines of demons. There's, it's, it's a horrible time. It's going to be a very trying time for the most obedient Christians. We're going to experience doctrines of demons. We're going to experience not only the days of Noah, but on top of that, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah combined. Noah didn't even have that. Lot didn't even have that. We're going to see two of the worst times in human history be put together. <laughs> and Jesus says, know them. You don't want to be like those who should have known the signs and the times of the first coming of Christ and didn't. You want to be those who are ready and prepared like a bride. Everything's white. Everything's clean. Everybody is awake. All the candles are lit. But you should not have a sense of fear of wrath or a fear I might not make it. Oh, I hope I make the rapture. I can't tell you, when I was in high school, how many kids had that story. I had one, it was just perfect. His mom had just come in from uh, the grocery store. She put all the groceries on the, the, the table and on the counter. And the dad had been working in the garage, but walked outside the garage to see something. And, and so he walked in, the, the groceries are there, no mom. He walked into the garage and the machines were running, but no dad. And the mom was outside talking to the dad. And he dropped to his knees and said, God, please, I don't want to be left behind. And his parents come walking in, you know, and like, what's going on, Philip? You know, what's happening? Oh, you're here. Oh, oh I thought I got left behind. That, that's not what the rapture should be doing to the Christian whether you're walking in obedience or struggling with obedience. If we're struggling with obedience, it, it's not fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. It, it, it shouldn't be, am I going to be in wrath? Am I going to be tormented? First John says, no. Perfect love takes away all the thoughts of torment, takes away all the thoughts of judgment. You've been perfected in love because God loves you. And he gave his only begotten son for you. And you, everybody who sees the son, will have everlasting life. Everybody who looks upon Jesus, who took the sin of the whole world upon him, seeing the snake on the pole, has everlasting life. Whoever believes, whatever kind of faith, however much faith, however little faith, whatever type of faith, it all the faith works. So comfort each other with with these words, edify, build each other up in these words, just as you've been doing. Don't grow weary in well-doing, exhorting each other to love and good works. Now, do I want to provoke you to more love and more good works? Do I want to 
Does, do I want you to be so enthralled with God's love and mercy and big smile at you that you want to go home and read your Bible when you haven't been? Yes. Do I want you to pray more than you've ever prayed? Yes. Do I want you to come to church every week because God's spirit of prophecy is working? Absolutely. Do I want you to share your faith? Absolutely. But I don't want you to do it because if you don't go share your faith, you might end up getting the wrath of God. <laughs> if you don't read the Bible, Jesus may come and you get left behind. Oh, I should have read the Bible yesterday. No. Comfort one another, edify one another. How do we do that? Grace. It's always grace. Grace by grace, through grace, grace upon grace. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Titus says in chapter 2, verse 11, for by the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now that same grace that brings salvation to all men, notice in verse 12, that same grace is what teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It's that same grace that will help us to live what? Soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. It's the grace of God that will keep us in the light. Not the sense of wrath that might come to you. Even though you're born again, you might get the wrath if you don't straighten up. No, it's grace upon grace. Of first John, in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We've gotten truth, but not without grace. For the, of his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Of Jesus' fullness, you have, past tense, received. All your sins have been paid for. There is no wrath. You are never again appointed to wrath. Jesus took that appointment for you, right? Grace upon grace. Grace that saved you is your story in the past. The grace that's going to take you in the rapture and into eternity is our future. Of his fullness, past, present, future, fullness of him coming into human flesh as a baby, his grace of dying on the cross in our place when we were weak, when we were sinners, when we were enemies of God. His grace that even though we were tormenting him while he hung on the cross, he still said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The grace that's a, apart from works. He could say to that thief who's done nothing worthy of, of heaven, and neither will he do anything worthy in the future of going to heaven. Today you'll be with me in paradise because it's not of works. It's not of ourself. It's not of our character. It's not of our nature. It's not of our works. It's not of being good or being in the light or being a good Christian. Salvation is a gift of God. And that gift and that calling are irrevocable, undoable. He has all who sees Jesus. He casts none out. He loses none. All, it's the will of the Father, that all that looked unto Jesus and been saved, all of them will be gathered together by Christ unto eternal life. We shall never perish. He didn't, John 3, 16 doesn't say, God so loved the world, 
He gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. It does not say that. It says whoever believes in the son shall not perish and have everlasting life. Now, he should just be able to say, we have everlasting life in this story. He shouldn't have to say that, but knowing our human nature, he has to confirm to us, you're not going to perish, <laughs> but have everlasting life. You think he just says you have everlasting life, it would solve the issue. Of course, we're not going to perish because we have everlasting life. But he still has to say to us, because we're carnal, you're not going to perish. You're going to have everlasting life. Comfort one another, edify one another as you have been doing with these words. Amen. Thank you for your word today, Lord. Just put it deep into our hearts and our souls and our minds. And let us go into all the world and preach the gospel of grace as we live in the grace. And let the grace of God and the mercies of God and the love of God rocket us ahead in being strong Christians, walking in the light putting off the works of darkness, especially as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. Let us sharpen up our sword. Let us put on our armor, especially that helmet of salvation, that breastplate of faith and love. Let us be ready because the baby's coming. We know the baby's coming. We thought it was coming last week, but it didn't. But it's probably going to come this week, if not maybe the week after. But we know that it can't be infinitely not coming. <laughs> because when the baby is pregnant, the season is right around nine months, give or take. And we also see the season. Just like they should have known your first coming. They, it's so clear throughout the scripture that we don't want to be the foolish Pharisees and not be ready in this season for all that you have for us. Let the day of Pentecost fall upon us again in this latter rain. Let us prophesy. Let us do miracles. Let us go into the world and preach the gospel to a lost and dying world who's believing all kinds of evil, wicked doctrines of demons. Lord, let us go and, and preach the gospel from the highest point. Let us be a light assault of the day sober in the world we live in that they can just see our light as we go get our newspaper as we go out to eat as we walk and talk let them be permeated by the our light that you live in us through the power of your spirit and if there's anybody who heard this today and is not a born-again christian you say i i haven't looked i haven't seen i haven't believed yet just right now do it jesus i look to you I am a sinner that needs a savior. Father, you love me and you sent your son, Jesus. I receive him. I receive the gift that you've given me by sacrificing your own son for my sins. I receive it. Be the Lord of my life now. Help me to seek you in the word and prayer in church with other believers growing in you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen.